After what felt like a long couple of years, playoff soccer was back at BMO Field on Saturday. The success that the team has had there continued as well. Extra time magic from Toronto FC gave them what turned out to be a comprehensive win over DC United. My name is Mitchell Tierney and you are listening to a special playoff edition of the Footy Talks podcast. Throughout TFC's run in these MLS Cup playoffs, we will have Waking the Red Roundtable editions of the show. The guests will likely fluctuate uh, a bit in the coming shows, but Tonight we are joined by Waking the Red Managing Editor, Michael Singh. Michael, how you doing? Thanks for having me, Mitch. Great. And uh, the mainstay of WTR Roundtables, Jeffrey Nasker. Jeff, uh, you just got back from the ballot box. You vote Osorio or Richie Larea? <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll steer clear of the uh, political talk on this week's show and go straight to the aforementioned uh, extra time. Um, I love that on Twitter the instant reaction was is Toronto FC so afraid of penalty shootouts that they were going to have an extra time period like that where four goals, the MLS record uh, for most goals in extra time and uh, a game that was 1-1 I mean it was you know it wasn't dominated by Toronto FC but they were certainly the better team through 90 minutes um, but you know 5-1 is a, is a pretty massive result considering it was 1-1 after normal time. Jeff, I guess just your general thoughts on, on the match and what it means going forward for Toronto FC. Well, uh, I mean, you know, there, there, it could be, uh, honestly, I think that they're going to be more confident going into city field, uh, on Wednesday mm-hmm. off the back of that, uh, a juggernaut of an extra time period. Um, you know, there, there, there is, uh, there's definitely currency to the argument. Uh, had they, had they taken it one nil, uh, they'd be a bit more rested, but uh, right. I fall I fall on the other side of the coin. I think that uh, that extra time period was uh, was simply sensational, and and it has to do something to the team's motivation uh, moving moving to City Field for Wednesday. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. I think that's certainly um, you know you, you saw important guys too. You saw Jonathan Osorio who maybe didn't necessarily have the greatest 90 minutes, although I thought he was he was pretty good. He just wasn't as dominant as he was in extra time. I mean, have a massive extra time period. You saw um, a couple of other players off the bench as well come on, and Deleon and Larea and have big performances. So there, there's a level of confidence there that they certainly didn't have in, in the regular period of the game. Michael, I don't know if you have thoughts on that as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Toronto FC have been... They've been rolling ever since uh, they got back from. I guess they got all their players back from the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've looked like a different side. They've looked confident, and Greg Vanny's established this identity that they're they're tough to beat, um, and that starts in the midfield. I think Marky Delgado is has been a, a huge part of that. He's playing a little bit higher up in the midfield, um, and I think that's just to make them tougher to tougher to play against. They want to press higher, and they want their defense to start a little bit higher up the field. And I think we're seeing that result. They're not conceding mm-hmm. as much, too. We had uh, Omar Gonzalez go down late. Uh, an hour before the game, we found out that he wouldn't be in the, the starting 18. And Lawrence Simon was able to seamlessly step in and look like a, look like he's been doing all season. Yeah. Right? And not, it's not easy against Wayne Rooney, either. Um, they, Yeah, they, Kamara got loose in the second half. Wayne Rooney had a handful of chances, but... 
overall just sol- all solid uh, team effort, and they're they're like I said, they're becoming tougher to beat. Yeah, you mentioned that run and, and how tough they were to beat during that run. I think the big drawback from that that time period, of course, was that a lot of those games ended up in draws or kind of hollow victories, and, and they weren't able to have that killer instinct. So that's, I guess, another benefit is now, you know, they, they absolutely destroyed a team and, and had those four extra goals and extra time, and now they, they kind of have a bit more swagger about them versus what maybe a, a close one nothing on a deflected goal from Marky Delgado would have would have done. Uh, I did want to talk about the the man who, in some ways, largely got them there, though. Quinton Westberg, that's definitely his best performance in a Toronto FC shirt. He made some pretty unbelievable saves. I mean, he basically almost single-handedly ruined Wayne Rooney's final game in MLS <laughs> with some uh, pretty stellar saves. I know there's been some debates all season as to his performance, but I think this this certainly settled it. And I think in some ways, potentially, uh, you know, I don't want to say a club legend, but certainly his stock rose significantly with the way he played in, in that game, Jeff. Uh, I mean, I'm still I'm still a little iffy as to whether some of those saves were 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 his skill or just blind luck being in the right place at the right time. I mean, it certainly looked that way. Like Rooney, Rooney went in. I mean, those two chances within a minute of each other, he you know it it really did look like Rooney just shot it right at Quentin. So, mm-hmm. um, you know wh- whether whether you can chalk that to him being skilled enough to know what place to be in or just having to be there uh, is anybody's guess. But, yeah, he was immense. He was standing on his head. I mean, it was uh, it was an unbelievable performance. And, uh, you know, especially on the on the uh, Ola Kamara breakaway that uh, he he really cut down the space and made himself huge. That was a hell of a save. Uh, so, yeah, like uh, just just so calm at the back. Um you know, you can tell the team trusts him in a way that they haven't trusted a keeper. His distribution, aside from like one, I remember one clearance that just went right into touch, and we were like, "What the hell happened?" But uh, <laughs> for the most part, I thought I thought Key was was astoundingly good. Yeah, he's almost like a uh, another defender back there because he's playing so far out of his net. Um, mm-hmm. If a ball ever skits past, they're trying to throw ball over the top. You know, Key's there to sweep it up. That's that's really valuable. We saw that late in the game where, uh, you know, he didn't manage to get it out of bounds and Chris Mavinga made an exciting uh, goal line clearance. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's, it, his value back there for sure has grown immensely. Yeah, and that'll certainly be helpful on a, on a smaller field come Wednesday where, you know, a New York City FC team that really likes to exploit those spaces in behind. Uh, Q will come up big. The other player, obviously, who had a massive performance, two goals. Uh, the second Toronto FC player to have a multi-goal performance in the MLS Cup playoffs, Sebastian Javinko, of course, being the other with his hat trick against NYCFC. Hopefully some foreshadowing there. And a hat tip, as always, to, to Martin Bailey for these numbers that I said in the podcast, especially the ones that are correct. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, another incredible performance for Osorio. I mean, it almost looked like you know he he came off the field for Canada and then stepped right back on the field for Toronto FC. He was winning challenges in the middle. He was playing with confidence and then um, scored a you know a goal that was a bit of a lucky bounce. But then you know a heck of a hit on the second one. He's just a player who you know I've said it time and time again in, in big games. Jonathan Osorio is is one of the first players who should be on Toronto FC's team sheet because he delivers time and time again, doesn't he, Michael? Yeah, no, absolutely. After the game, Jonathan Azaro didn't even want to talk about Canada. His focus is all on TFC, and he's mm-hmm. all uh, all eyes forward, straight ahead. Um, 
when Jonathan Azorio plays in big games, massive games, there's something special about him. He plays with an edge. He has a certain personality trait that allows him to step up, and it's almost like his emotion fills his his will. Um, and you know, when the playoffs, we're going to need role players like that. When Pozuelo isn't stepping up, Altador isn't there. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to happen for sure. Um, and it's it it's. I think the Canadian win definitely helped uh, fuel that that fire in him. Yeah. Uh, just it's, it built some confidence there. And same thing with Richie Lorea, who came on. He looked great there too. Uh, he Lorea managed to get the goal there. Um, mm-hmm. And just great day for a uh, great week for Canada soccer. Yeah, Jeff, thoughts on I guess uh, some of the other performances from players as well because this you know especially in extra time this was uh, some of the depth guys coming up and, and stepping up big for Toronto. Well, I mean, first, what a, what a week. What a week for soccer. I mean, <laughs> holy crap. Like, I, I, you know, I lost my voice during the middle of it because I was screaming like a maniac at the Canada game. But what mm-hmm. a week. I mean, two trips to BMO, both splendid. I, 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 I squeezed in a, a trip to the Hammer to see Forge have a win. Uh, just just one of the better weeks for footy in my, in my existence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- every... What what can you say about about that TFC performance? Everybody stepped up. I mean, Richie's goal was unbelievable. Nick's goal with the double celly uh, that really pissed some DC United fans off was uh, <laughs> was pretty was pretty terrific. Um, Oso's second goal was was just beautiful. Um, you know, it, it, there there's no amount of superlatives that that can describe what the experience was like. I mean, it was such a cagey match, nail biting right through to extra time and regular yeah. time and then of course to to concede that that lame goal that was that happened to be on my side unfortunately <laughs> and uh and then to have extra time happen i mean it was it was like it, it was unbelievable like it, you know the the experience at bemo on tuesday was among one of the better experiences that i've ever had at the ground and it was met by the experience on uh, on saturday it was it was unbelievable like the goals just kept coming we annihilated that team after a a cagey cagey 93 minutes uh you know i can't simon was was fantastic he didn't look out of step you know more stepped in and and uh you know immediately conceded a goal but but we'll forgive him for that and and uh you know then then just uh slotted right in and and uh all the moments i mean the simon more hug uh celebration (laughs) was pretty awesome it warmed my heart and uh you know, there's just there's just not enough good things I can say about about that game. Yeah, just one more thing. I, I don't want this to go by without giving credit to uh, Nick DeLeon. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned on that last goal, yeah, Moore did come on for that goal. I mean, Greg Vanny made the sub for the corner. Uh, it didn't work out, obviously. But Nick DeLeon said after after the match, that was his man on the corner. And he felt a little bit of uh, ownership, I guess, over that. And that's why yeah. that's what fueled him in extra time to, to go out there and score that banger yeah, wow that was an goal. incredible goal i had a great view from the past about the perfect angle and just curled perfectly top corner like a lot of people in the press box were standing up after that it was, mm. it was awesome it was that's awesome. a no-no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can't stand up in the press box what is yeah, that I, know, I, exactly. I need i need names i need receipts here um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was funny though because yeah delion had a couple of those efforts too even before that where he, he just really looked like he was up for it in extra time um, this, of course, was the the first single game elimination match we've gotten to see at BMO Field in terms of the current format. Of course, the I think it was Philadelphia Union during that 2016 run we saw as a single game. But 
this was the first time we've gotten to see the, the new format and I mean, definitely didn't get off to the greatest start with that Atlanta United uh, <laughs> New England Revolution snooze fest, but ever since then, I mean, it's it's been. I don't think it, you could have expected it to go much better for MLS in the in the first week of this new format. I mean, there was that Seattle FC Dallas game that um, was wild. Of course, the Philadelphia New York Red Bulls game, the TFC extra time. All of the games seemed to deliver pretty well. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't evaluate something like this we'll, we'll continue to evaluate as the years go on but you know it's it could have gone two way one of two ways the first being kg one nil matches like we saw in, in atlanta but the second being these kind of more open games where both teams seem to be up for it and and want to really attack and it's been awesome to see hasn't it michael yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the home teams are definitely liking it at the in this one. Yeah, uh, I think. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think LA Galaxy might be the only visiting team to have won. They are. Yeah, they are. Uh, yeah, so they. I mean, if we still have two legs, Toronto FC are going away to DC United, one-one. Uh, not an ideal, you know, fixture. But right. Yeah. Good point. Now instead, it's it's five one. Wayne Rooney's MLS career is virtually over, and TFC are sitting pretty, heading to New York. Um, I I personally enjoy it. I'm not really the biggest fan of two legs. Maybe that's growing up in a Canadian market, yeah. uh, growing up watching hockey and whatnot. Yeah. But there's there's no way that uh, this one leg, uh, sorry, the one leg excitement uh, does not trump the two leg excitement for me. Right, big fan of aggregate Jeff Nesker what do you have I, to I, 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 I'm gonna have to play devil's advocate here I mean it's a small sample size yeah but uh, it's all gone to chalk save for this this Latin free LA Galaxy uh, uh, you know experience but mm. uh, so so yeah, I mean as much, again I love aggregate math there's nothing that I have more fun doing at the stadium two beers deep than figuring out what the away goals bracket is and explaining it to everyone around me I, I, it, to, to take that away from me is is sort of a, a is blasphemy by MLS and you know I've, I've read all the MLS hype and and they are pimping this as as the second coming of, of Jesus and or sliced bread you know like oh it's so exciting we've had increment weather and etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't dispute that they've been exciting games they haven't been cagey matches I miss the two-leg aggregate Absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see as the rounds progress. But if it all goes to chalk, then I think the real test is next season because every team knows how important seeding is. Right. And the next season is going to is going to really reflect that. So um, it, it'll it, it'll be I mean, we've got an interesting next round. Uh, we've got an interesting playoffs right through to MLS Cup. But mm. I absolutely think that it will have a profound effect on how teams play out the 2020 season but that's how you should play you should play to win throughout from the beginning of april to or march to the end of Mm -hmm. uh september october there that that team should be playing no matter what and if it does benefit the teams that are hosting as well i mean that's also a positive you know that that again puts more value on the season and now you've got you know your favorites winning as well so uh, like we said, we'll continue to to see what kind of impact it has going forward, and we're certainly not making a, our final statements right now. But uh, oh, oh, I'm I, I will die on the hill of two legs. <laughs> right, all right. Jeff is <laughs> Jeff is making his final statement right now, but the rest of us are, uh, <laughs> I would assume, uh, r- remaining to to see what the rest of this looks like. But uh, of course, Toronto FC have another 
one-legger coming up this week, uh, that against New York City FC on Wednesday. Um, you know, the, the everyone's been saying Atlanta United might be the toughest opponent, and going away to Atlanta, that might be true. But uh, New York City FC, I mean, second most goals scored in the league, second least conceded. Uh, they're in an unbelievable run of form right now, 11 um, or they, they've only lost once in their last 11, eight of those wins. So that's kind of the difference between them and Toronto FC is they were able to, you know, pick up a ton of points in that. Whereas of course, Toronto FC undefeated in 10, but a lot of them being draws. So they're in a great run of form. Um, with that being said, I think the one kind of great equalizer in this is one Toronto FC has been pretty good on the small fields against New York city FC. So that's not maybe the advantage it would be. And that small field happens to be City Field, not uh, you know their usual stadium in Yankee Stadium. And you know they're going to have a big crowd. They're going to be used to the field, like the field in terms of the field dimensions. But it, you know, it, to not be familiar in your home stadium during a playoff match, that's got to be incredibly difficult for these players. And I think that's you know that's certainly going to be a factor going into this game. Um, what do you think, Jeff? Um, so I have a question and and I'm echoing a question that's sort of circulating around Twitter, the Twitter verse, will city field be the same size pitch as Yankee stadium? Will they just basically move all their equipment from one location to another? Or are we expecting a bigger pit? I mean, I can't say smaller. So are we expecting (laughs) the the same, the same or bigger at city field or are we, uh, you know, cause I, I do think that that has merit. That's a good question. question. I think Greg Vanny said in training today that they're they're expecting it to be similar, if not the exact same. So it, it will once again be a a small field. And if you're New York City FC, you know, again, that's what you're comfortable with. So you wouldn't want to to make it any bigger. I wouldn't. Hey, think. bring bring it on, Mitch. Bring it on. Five nothing, <laughs> seven nothing aggregate, twenty sixteen. Wasn't that long ago? We have their number. Uh, you know, uh, we're not afraid of the small pitch. Bring it on. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Michael, I think the only thing is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing is we have a, we have a little bit of health concerns. Yeah, uh, going down the stretch here, Marky Delgado, he wasn't at training, I think today. Um, Chris Mavinga, I believe, left early. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that we are picking up quite a bit of injuries. Omar Gonzalez, I guess that's some good news. We're work, he's working his way back. Yeah. Um, so he's it's likely that Omar Gonzalez will will be playing Wednesday. Altador. I, I am not sure. I think we may be able to see him in the 18, but he's, I mm-hmm. don't think he's going to start just by the way that Vanny's been talking about it. Um, oh. Those are just the guys off the top of my head, plus I'm sure a handful of knocks with this short uh, overturn. I mean, they only yeah. have, what, four or five days in between matches before they go have to travel to New York? Um, I'm sure uh, Greg Vanny wasn't pleased about that, actually. He did he did answer that after, after the match. He would rather prefer... A uh, full week in between, but I mean, mm. who wouldn't? I guess. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but New York City FC they they actually scrimmaged uh, Chicago Fire um, hmm. about four or five days ago just to keep their their legs fresh, and they wanted to do an MLS team. They traveled to Chicago and scrimmaged them, so they're not completely cold. But you know, TFC TFC's rolling. Let's see. Which Feinsteiger playing? Not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's a. Uh... That's interesting. That's a great bit of info, um, certainly. And but but yeah, you mentioned the injury concerns. I mean, that is you know that's been the almost the story of Toronto FC's playoffs is Josie Altidore will he or won't he left out of the eighteen for the last match. You'd think you'd almost put him on the bench there just to even if he wasn't going to play just to scare the opposing manager. But I guess you can't 
really get away with that twice um, in a row. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the latest I've heard is that uh, Delgado and Mavinga should be good to go in some capacity during the game. Uh, Gonzalez is looking much better, as you said, and then Altidore, I mean, literally who knows with that, with that situation, I think. They're, they're saying day-to-day, but they've been saying day-to-day this entire time, basically since he got injured. Um, so, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see there. Um, but I guess it draws the question of tactically, what do you do? Because Toronto FC, that was part of the intrigue of this DC United match was they once again went with Pozuelo as a number nine over Mullins. Um, I, I think against DC, that certainly worked out well, but you know, New York city FC is a different beast. They, um, read. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the way they've been playing lately. I mean, they'll, you know, if Toronto FC have any sort of space they're opening up in the midfield, they'll exploit that. They're really good at getting their wingers to cut inside. Um, this is going to be a, a very tough game for Toronto FC defensively, especially. And, um, you know, you, you wonder in that sense how you get the midfield mix for that game. Yeah, you, Jeff touched on 2016, that magic that TFC had. This is a completely different New York City team that yeah. Toronto FC is going up against. Um, they they won they won the Eastern Conference, and if it wasn't for LAFC's miraculous year, uh, New York City would have been the best team in MLS this year. Um, with that said, Toronto FC did not go or did go to New York not too long ago. Um, granted, New York was missing a bunch of players and put up a very good performance, mm-hmm. very very good ninety minutes, which they probably should have deserved a better better end result. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll see. This is this is exciting. I mean, this is what the, what the one game uh, matches I guess were made for. Yeah, Toronto did. Uh, if, if I'm not wrong, they did use Pozuelo as a as a number nine in that game as well. Those during that little run where they did that during the regular season. Jeff, would you do that again? If uh, I mean, we're almost assuming here Altidore isn't certainly isn't ready to start. Yeah, I would. I would because uh, you know we can't we can't have our fullbacks bombing up the flanks or we'll get torched by NYCFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gotta they gotta stay back. It's all we. I wouldn't say we need to field the back four, but. Certainly, we cannot have our, our outside backs bombing down the flanks because we'll get caught on transition and, and just get destroyed by them. Um, you know, if you look at the first goal we scored against DC, that was all because of Paws playing a false nine, right? Like yeah. he took a shot, then faded away, and, and the two uh, attacking midfielders came in to clean up the mess. Paul Scholes like. So I would say roll, roll the dice on that, uh, see if we can hurt him. And uh, we know we one thing we know about Greg Vanny is he's not afraid to make uh, formation changes on the fly mm-hmm. in game. So uh, you know I, I I'd like to see if that could be successful. Um, I think if you start with Mullins, you're going to leave him on an island because we can't bomb on the flanks, and he's a traditional number nine who's looking for service. So it, you know in a, in a in an open game that's nil nil to start off, I don't think Mullins gives us any benefit. So if if Josie is once again not going to be our target hold up uh hold up guy if he's not going to start absolutely play pause as a false nine i'd rather see him there than on the wings i think he's wasted on the wing uh i know michael agrees with me i've i've read (laughs) (laughs) numerous examples of him all but screaming into his keyboard about (laughs) wasted on the wing does that work can you scream into your keyboard (laughs) yeah dragon dictate man (laughs) (laughs) and michael do you have any thoughts on how you I guess tactically approach this match. Um, I, I th- similar to almost how they they did against DC. Mm-hmm. If you don't have Altidore, I I personally don't have enough faith at Patrick Mullins to be able to hold up play as J- Jeff uh, pointed out. 
um, if he's alone there by himself. And against New York City FC, Toronto FC are going to have to concede a lot of possession um, yeah. and play almost like a Liverpool, Manchester United type where they're they're counterattacking. They make the most off their counterattacks. And I think the best mm-hmm. way to optimize that is to have Pozuelo as that number nine with speed around him um, for wingers down to, to get up, up and down the line, make the fullbacks life's hell and make them do some work. Um, so I guess to build off that, maybe we see Erickson Gallardo. I mean, he hasn't played in a, in a while, but just yeah. who's he? Who's what? Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. he could he could make an impact on this on this match. He is, yeah, we haven't seen him, but he is a TM player for a reason. He does mm-hmm. possess a little bit more quality than the average MLS player. Um, and hey, if we're gonna spend our TM money, why not? Let's use it. Yeah, that's true. I wonder, in some ways, though, if he's one of those guys who would come off the bench if Toronto sees yeah. Yeah, in, in a tough situation, losing kind of like a Mullins, as Jeff mentioned, maybe even like a Richie Larea, because you might need Arrow's defensive stability in this game, whereas, um, again, Richie brings a lot going forward, but uh, he's still a first-year fullback, and, and uh, I mean, we you notice that less and less, but uh, <laughs> it certainly still um, is is still a factor. Before we wrap up the NYCFC discussion, um, Jeff, what do you think the keys are to to beating a New York City FC team that, of course, will will definitely be favored in this match? I th- I think what Michael said, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta concede possession, uh, mm-hmm. you gotta try and hit him in transition. Um, you've got to un- undo their sort of rhythm. You got to take him out of the game a little bit. I don't know if a high press is the answer. I I think. It's very much conceding possession and trying to hit him on the counter. I think if you go into press NYCFC, they're gonna they're gonna ruin you. They're gonna toast you. So you you gotta be uh, you gotta be more measured and uh, not necessarily park the bus, but certainly circle around the lot. Isn't everything a high press on the fields that small? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, do you have anything <laughs> to add into that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, last time they played New York City FC. Um, it was September 11th, mm-hmm. and that's when I really first noticed that Marquis Delgado was pressing high because he took away um, the holding midfielder, sorry, that plays for New York City FC. Uh, they took his time and space away because they played everything through that midfielder, mm-hmm. and every time that midfielder got the ball, Marquis Delgado would press, close, and they'd press from that point on. And New York City FC would concede possession quite a few times, and Toronto FC capitalized that off those counterattacks. Um, so pressing high actually may be the answer in this game, but mm-hmm. it's going to take an all-around team effort from <laughs> all the way from Subasa Endo to Justin Morrow. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah again, it's it's going to be a really intriguing tactical match because small field, two teams who might end up going at this game in, in fairly similar ways, at least in terms of their attack. Um, and, yeah, certainly... Sorry, that was Castellanos. Castellanos, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Google finally <laughs> came through for, for Michael. <laughs> um, but before we wrap up here, I did want to talk about one other bit of Toronto FC news, and that was uh, Joshua Cloak's interview with Michael Bradley, where he uh, talked to Bradley about you know, his contract going forward. Bradley has barely said anything on this all season long. And uh, I think we've been 
Um, well, I guess not us personally at Waking the Red. We haven't been that appreciative of it because uh, certainly there'd be a lot more news for us if Michael Bradley was putting up a stink about his uh, his contract. But I think in general, uh, those around Toronto FC have been very appreciative as to how he's handled his contract negotiations. Uh, but he did reveal something that was interesting, which is that he would definitely accept a TAM deal. Now, we don't know exactly what that would look like, what kind of guarantees would have to be put in place. But... Um, you know, it, it was interesting to get that in writing where where he, you know, said that he would take less money to, to stay with this, this club when um, I guess there maybe are some concerns about giving him a designated player contract going forward. Michael, I don't know if you had any thoughts when you, uh, I guess, first read this and uh, have since For thought sure. about it. Yeah, just the, the report was that uh, Michael Bradley would 100% be willing to accept um, or consider accepting a, mm-hmm. a TAM deal to stay at Toronto FC. Yeah. Um I mean again I don't I don't know how newsworthy that is because Bradley pointed it out. He didn't come here for the money to to begin with. Yeah. Um and I think that just from being around Bradley and just hearing his comments throughout it's never been um a question about the team that surrounds him either it it i mean we've we've been able to be privileged to have good designated players here and fill that mm-hmm. that void but it doesn't always work out i mean 2015 prior to that we didn't have great designated players mm-hmm. so yeah. michael bradley's statements just to me are kind of just like another um i want to say way to to get the heat off of him he gave us something, but it really isn't nothing because I don't think this really changes anything. Torsten Frings shut off our podcast a couple of seconds ago there, so thanks for that, Michael. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Danny Kuhlman's never listened to <laughs> <laughs> uh, But, Jeff, I don't know if you have any, any I guess, clothing, closing thoughts. Well, I mean, reading the article, I was, uh, you know, if I could do backflips, I would have done backflips. Mm-hmm. You know, spoiler alert, I can't do backflips. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know... I I think everything about Michael Bradley is measured. He doesn't he doesn't talk to the media unless he's uh you know worked it through in his head. So right. so I agree with Michael in a sense that he gave us a cookie but it's not a very definitive cookie. It's it, you know it's a, it's a cookie that that's almost an imaginary cookie. That being said, um it was it was all positivity. I mean the thing the thing that struck me the most with the article is just you know, I, I've not, I've never had the privilege or the or the curse to interview Michael Bradley because I, I hear he can be quite adversarial when you ask the wrong question. But, uh, yep. um, you know, I, I was just so impressed with the with the level of uh, trust I think he has with Joshua uh, to sort of give it didn't it didn't feel like a party line. I mean, I, I'll call back to to Seba right before the the SHIT hit the fan right yeah. it was all positivity there was that art there was that interview with KJ and and him and KJ and Josie in the in the locker room and he was all smiles and then like two days later it was you know it was it was scorched earth policy <laughs> I'm off to, I'm off to uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia do I do I think that that Bradley's softening the blow do I think that this is a calculated move so that you know when when push comes to shove and he does leave for for you know millions of dollars a year somewhere else he goes oh well you know i i said to josh cloak that 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 i would stay for tam uh maybe 
maybe i mean we live in the instagram world of of everybody covering <laughs> their asses right but there you know it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right um i do believe him when he says he didn't come here for the money i believe him he's already a rich man um you know again when you're when you're standing on the precipice of 6.5 million dollars a year until your legs give out and then potentially nothing yeah. um you you want to cash in as much as you can can't fault him for going for the money felt the same way about victor vasquez mm -hmm. uh but i do take some positivity i do take some comfort in in you know what i read is relatively definitive statements about how much he loves the city um you know one of his kids was born here uh you know as torontonians we're very very proud of of what our city offers and it's wonderful to hear foreigners echo that sentiment you know they come to town and they say oh my god you guys are sitting on a gold mine here <laughs> um so he said so he said all the right things whether it matters i i i i'm 50 50. i i i don't know if i'm as 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 cagey about it as as michael is but i i'm certainly not you know uh, uh expecting him to be here 100 percent, and and even if he's here one more year you know i was reading articles when when they when the leafs named austin matthews as a captain i read articles that brought me right back down memory lane to you Don't know how what oh sorry sorry what did i say austin matthews oh <laughs> my bias is showing uh, but, uh, but you know, I was reading, and I and I remember with the Leafs just how much of a shock it was when Sundin left, or when uh, um, uh, Wendell Clark left, or um, Castle, uh, Phil, Phil, whoever that was. I, I can't. Think <laughs> of the other guy. I want to say, um, oh my God, I can't think of the the captain in between Sundin and Wendell Clark. But uh, there you go. That's the man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like you know, it, captains leave. Um, and it's the end of an era and and fans hate that because we all fear change um, but uh, like just to circle back I, I I can't help but feel positive about about the the article and the context of the article and that that could just be wishful thinking on my part yeah imagining a Toronto FC team with Michael Bradley on Tam and then another designated player adding in is a pretty exciting prospect I mean they they could be quite at side next season if, if that ends up being the case. Um, be fun. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think uh, I think we're gonna. Oh, I think we're just gonna one wrap. more thing. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I think people are sweating um, if we were to resign MB4 as a DP. Um, he's a defensive midfielder. I mm -hmm. I have to think that a quality DM is worth a DP slot because if you go to the South American leagues, if you go all across the world there's no way that i would go for trying to fill a hole with tam in, in a dm position over a number nine a pure number nine you have to think there are so many hungry young players all over the world uh that are you know pure number nines or even or even uh, a center forwards that mm -hmm. that can slot in as a number 10 and and the pool must be way bigger for those kind of players, especially younger players, to come in on Tam than they would be to replace somebody like Bradley on the pitch and in the locker room, where I think he's irreplaceable. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Michael, do you have a final point on that? Uh, since Jeff, uh, I let Jeff have one. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping score now, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Michael Bradley uh, has been a perfect, perfect captain for Toronto FC. Um, and in my opinion, I wouldn't hesitate to sign him to a designated player spot. It would, wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't lose sleep over that whatsoever. He's earned that, and he's going to continue to earn that. He mentioned that his best days may still be ahead of him, 
he thinks that his best days are still ahead of him, and hmm. I don't don't agree with the amount of uh, work and how much how in shape he is. He this guy doesn't miss games. This guy yeah. plays twice a week if he has to. He's a, he's an absolute beast in the training ground. Like uh, I don't know what else I can say positive about investing in someone uh, like Michael Bradley. Yeah, this is uh, this shows like CBC election coverage. I have to give equal time to both of my guests here so <laughs> hope i uh, hope i at least got close on tonight's show but uh we'll wrap things up there michael and jeff thank Mips, you so much geez, for joining does me. that mean the next one's going to be in french oh yes we'll. <laughs> <laughs> of course we're the, there won't be a impact playoff uh podcast anytime soon so um pro- probably not <laughs> um but uh at any rate uh we hope to do a few more of these shows uh, in the next coming weeks as toronto fc continue their playoff run until then enjoy wednesday's match everyone